This presentation was from Yox Australia 2017, held in Sydney. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit yoxaustralia.com.au. I bet you're getting sick of hearing from me. I should get somebody else to do some intros, shouldn't I? If that, I should figure out a new way of doing it. Actually, really just do it so that it gets on the audio, so that when you're hearing it on podcast, you've got some context. Anyway, this is Jodie. And uh, again, as you can tell from her slide title, she's going to be talking to us all about data visualisation. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. I'd like for you to imagine that you're a doctor at your local hospital. You're about to see your eighth patient of the day, but it's only 10 o'clock a.m. You only have two minutes to look over your next patient's chart before heading into her room. You look at the computer to view trend line graphs of her vital signs, such as heart rate, and lab results, such as potassium, for the past 24 hours. Potassium is important for proper nerve function and muscle function. Her data is trending normally, and she looks to be improving. You repeat the same process for your ninth patient, John. His potassium trend line looks almost identical to the previous patient's. And after you talk with him and do a physical exam, he also seems to be improving. You continue through your patient list. Later that day, you receive a phone call. John is in cardiac arrest and needs immediate intervention. You're surprised since he seemed to be improving just hours ago. John is given CPR and you order additional treatment for his recovery. Afterwards, you reopen John's patient chart to see if you missed something in his results. When taking a closer look at his graphs, you have a realization. The previous patient's graph axis displayed from 2 to 6, but John's graph showed from 3 to 9. Although the slope of the trend line looked very similar to the normal patient before him, the y-axis of John's graph displays a significantly higher range of values. When plotted on the same scale, we see the dramatic difference between the two patients' trend lines. John's potassium levels had slowly been increasing toward critical levels for hours. Due to change blindness, the small switch of the y-axis values distorted your perception of the data. There were hours of intervention opportunities lost that could have prevented this emergency. Something so small, so simple, as the numbers of the graph axis can literally alter the course, in, the course of a person's life. With this at stake, our designer senses need to be in hyperdrive. I'm Jody, a UX designer at Cerner, a healthcare technology company. For the past few years, I have been designing software for, health, for nurses and doctors. From imaging software for radiologists to time-based visualizations of patient data, it has been the most challenging yet fulfilling work of my career. I'm here to share the importance of data visualization details in healthcare and beyond. We will look at how UI and UX design can be a layer for pa of defense for patient safety, the landscape of healthcare IT, and dive into the details that lead to impactful and effective data visualizations. Now, while the story I just told is hypothetical, it is a potential scenario that we identified while designing a graphing project and designed safeguards against. I'll describe those solutions later on. As user experience designer in healthcare, 
Patient safety is the foundation of my work. It's complex and challenging, but nothing is more important than it. According to a Johns Hopkins study from last year, medical error is the third leading cause of death in the United States following heart disease and cancer. The World Health Organization estimates that in developed countries across the globe, as many as one in 10 patients is harmed while receiving hospital care. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, from 2014 through 2015, there were 10.2 million hospitalizations across Australia. Let's take a look at the impact. Any cricket fans here? The Sydney Cricket Ground has a capacity of 46,000 spectators. With over 10 million hospitalizations in Australia that year, that means that over 1 million Australian patients may have been harmed. That amount of people would fill the stadium over 22 times. You may be familiar with the medium story from a few years ago, how bad UX killed Jenny. A young cancer patient was given a strong chemo treatment that required IV hydration before and after administration. As the nurses were entering information after her chemo was given, they missed the order for additional IV hydration afterwards. The next morning, Jenny died of toxicity and dehydration. This terrible accident was attributed to a confusing UI from one of our competitors amid a distracting physical environment. Based on research my team at Cerner has done, the user interface is just one of, of several challenges the healthcare industry faces in order to ensure patient safety. Each of these challenges branch out into much deeper complexity. This web of challenges is also interconnected. For example, if a healthcare system decided to decrease the work hours of their employees, we might assume that care providers would be better rested and focused during their shift. However, the single change would impact communication and transitions between providers, increasing risk for patient safety. While human error is unavoidable, there should be several defensive layers for every system. The Swiss cheese model of accident causation is used for risk management and analysis. This model illustrates that defensive layers are like layers of Swiss cheese with dynamically changing holes. If the holes of each layer line up, even if just for a moment, there's opportunity for mishap. Despite the training, regulation, and process our health systems have, Healthcare providers are still working in high-risk environments. Understaffed health systems are flooded by people in need of care. On a bustling hospital floor with alarms going off at all hours, care team members running between patient rooms, and the need to use a computer to document patient data in order to meet government regulations, it's no wonder that medical error occurs. The author of Jenny's story, Jonathan Chariot, recently published a book called Tragic Design. In it, he states, interface design should act as the last layer in that model. Although we cannot ensure that our software will always work perfectly, we do have a responsibility to ensure that the UI and UX layers of our systems are designed to protect our users and enable them to perform their tasks well. In the healthcare industry, a strong and defensive UX layer is vital for patient safety. I work for Cerner, a company at the intersection of healthcare and technology. 
Our technologies support the full continuum of care from clinical to financial to patient engagement solutions. We have products licensed at more than 25,000 facilities across 35 countries. As part of Cerner's UX team, I spend the majority of my time designing in the clinical space for our main product, the electronic medical record, or EMR. It's mainly used by doctors and nurses. Our technology is subject to a long list of legislation and regulations. Cerner has an entire team dedicated to understanding these and reviewing them for each country, such as the National Safety and Quality Health Standards, developed by the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, to ensure we're meeting all health IT requirements. Our UX team also has training on how these re regulations impact our design and research. Accessibility guidelines, patient privacy, and medication safety are just a few examples of regulation themes that guide our work. I focus on the rules that impact data visualizations and incorporate additional research to create safe and usable experiences. The accurate display of patient data has become my passion for the past two and a half years. I've led the design of several interesting projects, from a reusable framework for time-based visualizations of patient data, to redesigning the graphing tool for patient designs inside of the patient chart. Patient um, results, not design. Data visualization is a very powerful tool across industries, but I'm biased toward believing that its most amazing applications are in healthcare IT. For many years, the EMR was simply an input tool for charting patient data. Most data review is solely done in viewing rows and columns of numbers. Now we're creating meaningful displays of information that are supporting our clinicians to make decisions about patient care. If you have children, this may look familiar to you. The pediatric growth chart has been used by healthcare providers to track the growth of children from birth into adulthood for over 40 years, starting on paper. The WHO and CDC have standards for healthy growth of height, weight, head circumference, and more, based on age, sex, etc. These standards are displayed as percentile lines that create a unique curve for each measure. When patient data is plotted, it becomes easy to identify if a child's growth is progressing normally or if there are abnormal patterns. Ideally, the trend should closely follow the 50th percentile line in the middle of the curve. For the first 20 years of an individual's life, the growth chart is essential for tracking healthy growth progression uh, for, the, for the patient. It's also an invaluable tool for communicating between patients, providers, and their parents. As I have worked on a redesign of Cerner's interactive growth chart tools, I've had the opportunity to observe clinicians using it in hospitals. In a NICU setting, or a neonatal intensive care unit, physicians are making life-changing, life-saving decisions for premature infants based on this information. For specialists, such as pediatric endocrinologists, the pattern of the trend line is often the first indication of diagnoses, such as hypothyroidism. Can you imagine being able to recognize a disease by looking at a line graph? As children become teenagers, primary care pediatricians use the growth chart to lead conversations with the patient and parents around the timing of puberty, eating and exercise habits, and often answering the question, how tall is my son going to be? He plays basketball, you know. 
This single type of data visualization has impacted millions of lives, perhaps including many of you in the room today. The power and potential of data visualization is astounding and humbling. In a matter of clicks, we can take tables with thousands of numbers and transform them into graphics that, pro that provide immediate insights. From problem solving to storytelling, this information drives action across every industry. As we know, with great power comes great responsibility. When we see a data visualization, we often assume it to be accurate. Who can argue against numbers, right? There are countless examples of confusing and even misleading graphs. Just try a Google search for bad data visualizations and you'll see what I mean. This assumed legitimacy is really dangerous. <laughs> it's really dangerous, especially when the design uh, appears trustworthy. Like Homer Simpson said, people can use statistics to prove anything. 14% of all people know that. As designers, we are responsible for accurately communicating information through data visualizations. I'm going to give several examples of design details that, if not designed properly, can have negative consequences. Before we can even start talking about design, it's important to note that visualizations must always start with quality raw data. It must be accurate and shared with complete transparency in order for your story to be true and trustworthy. The details that lead to accurate and impactful data visualizations fall into three categories. Clarity, context, and creativity. I'll walk through several visualization examples to illustrate each topic. Clarity is the foundation of data visualization design. We want to avoid all potential for confusion in order to empower our users to confidently make decisions. To achieve this, we must start with the basics. Let's take a look at this bar graph. It's called Project Category. We see that each bar <laughs> we see that each bar represents a different category, but does not give us any information about what is being measured. This really should be the x-axis label and not the title. The title of a visualization should be succinct, yet provide the information necessary for the user to understand what's being viewed and how it is being measured. A better title for this graph might be Hours Worked Across Tech Projects in 2016. This line graph is called Solar Employment Growth by Sector 2010 through 2016. It clearly states what is being measured, how it is organized, and even the date range of the data. This information sets us up well to interpret the trend lines. If additional details are important to include, consider using supporting text below this example. This one includes the data source below the title. A small phrase or a few sentences can provide additional information, define keywords or measurements, or even highlight the main insight you want to communicate to your user. This map also uses supporting text. Oops, sorry. Also uses supporting text. There we go. A dangerous mistake I often see while consulting on visualizations and dashboards is improper or missing labels. If this graph had a title, it might give us a hint to what is being measured. However, even with that context, we still have no idea what unit of measure this data is being plotted to. 
even when an axis is labeled, it may be unclear. Let's look back to our first bar graph. The y-axis label displays total FTE. If the user doesn't know what FTE stands for, this graph will not give them much useful information. In fact, there are over 50 potential acronyms that FTE could mean. The user might interpret this as meaning Ford truck enthusiasts. <laughs> Do not make users guess what the data is being shown or how it is being measured. The user may make the wrong assumption that will then affect every insight they gain from the visualization. All axes and visualizations should be labeled. It's also important to include the unit of measure. I like to include this in parentheses next to the label itself. While labels are important, I believe the most powerful element for clear data visualizations is proper scale. Scale is easy to skew with design and can dramatically distort the perception of our data. It's often subtle in a visualization, making it very possible for the user to misinterpret or overlook completely. Think back to my story at the beginning. When the scale of the potassium graph y-axis changed dramatically between patients, the only indication was those tiny number labels. The pattern of the data line itself leaves a stronger imprint in the user's mind, causing them to make assumptions based on the pattern of the line rather than the numbers in the axis. When we were designing a graphing tool at Cerner, we anticipated this scenario as a potential outcome of auto-adjusting y-axis from patient to patient. We worked with a team on a resolution for this patient safety issue. The tool now has built-in algorithms that ensure consistent scales for result types across patients. Let's look at some other ways that scale can impact the perception of our data. A simple mistake I often see is to start the y-axis of a bar graph at a value other than zero. In this graph, it looks like South America in the middle has almost no plotted data. However, when we look over to the y-axis, we see that it's actually over 20. This is because we interpret the value of a bar equal to its length. When the y-axis of this graph is adjusted to start at zero, it properly represents the values. Similarly, the perception of data measured in percentages is often skewed by scale. This sometimes occur because, occurs because a tool automatically adjusts the y-axis values to, to better fit the data, but it's sometimes done to manipulate the display of your data. This example, of, this example of an ad from Chevy illustrates the power that scale has on perception. Based on this bar graph, it seems obvious that Chevy creates the most long-lasting trucks on the market. Chevy looks to be twice as good as Toyota because its bar is twice as big. However, when we take a closer look at the axis, we realize that the scale only displays from 95% to 100%. When the axis is adjusted from 0 to 100, we see a dramatic change. The difference between Chevy, Ford, and Toyota, and Nissan is actually hardly noticeable. <laughs> Those Ford truck enthusiasts would not be very excited about this. <laughs> Although the power of scale can be used in the wrong way, it can also be used for good. When tracking the vital signs of a patient, slight differences of values can have dramatic impact. In healthcare, the clinical severity of our scale should match the clinical severity of our data. For example, normal human body temperature typically ranges between 36 and 37 degrees Celsius. 
With a range as small as this, the decimal places for each value are really important. When we graph this, if we use a scale of just 32 to 40 degrees, the actual trend line will look almost like a flat line. If we reduce this to be 35 to 38, we can still see high and low values, but the actual changes across time are much more apparent. Doctors need these details to make decisions for patient care. It's also important to be aware of how graphs scale on different device sizes. I often see the x-axis scale, but the y-axis does not. Be aware that this also affects the perception of the severity of the data's fluctuation. We must also be careful when using time to plot data. In this example, the viewer may assume that the data declined rapidly halfway through. However, upon a closer look, we see that the first few labels are 21 minutes apart, then 4 minutes apart, then 28 minutes apart, etc. If we replotted these points to the proper placement along the x-axis with equal intervals, we would see that the drop was much later on and much more dramatic. We cannot count on our users to read every axis label. They will assume equal distance between them and likely won't read more than one in order to anchor themselves. We must display time in equal intervals. I often see intervals of time dropped off the x-axis simply because there's no data to plot. It's important to leave that extra space to accurately portray the data. Depending on the length of the break in time, it can also be beneficial in line graphs to break the line itself and restart it when the data is continuous again. Equally spaced increments and labels are imperative for accurate understanding of trends over time. A final simple but powerful way to give users clarity is to provide discrete values and any relevant details by interacting with the data. This could be as simple as the data value and the time it was recorded or as complex as a medication dosage and all of the supplemental details that support that. Once there is a truthful and clear foundation for your data, we're ready to explore methods of enhancing understanding by providing context to the data. The following techniques can bring users quicker insights and increase their confidence in data interpretation. If there is a normal, expected, or ideal range of values for the data, adding a target range is a simple but powerful way to add context. A light shaded region behind the grid lines can allow the users to easily identify high and low values. Displaying a clinical reference range is important for graphing values such as lab results or vital signs. If you again think back to the opening story, this emergency could have been avoided by simply adding in a range for each graph. Although the y-axis scales were very different, the range would have also adjusted and provided a more obvious clue for these high values. Similar to a target range, a goal line can be added to indicate a discrete value that your data should be achieving. A goal line and target range can also be used together. Context is especially important on dashboards. In this example, two bar graphs are placed right next to each other. One y-axis only goes from 0 to 40%, while the other displays from 0 to 100%. Based on bar height alone, the user may assume relative values to these bars while comparing across graphs, believing they are being measured in the same way. 
The visual patterns of the graph are more powerful than the small text labels enabling this mistake. Both percentage ranges should display from 0 to 100%, but other scales and dashboards should be consistent from graph to graph as well. It's important to mark visualizations and dashboards with the date that it was published. I also recommend including the date or date range of the data as well in order to maintain trust and relevancy for your visualization. Annotations are another simple way to provide your user with context. On-canvas notes and labels should be used sparingly, but can help highlight insights. These can be placed in context of a specific data point, a date or time frame, etc. This example shows a year in American news measuring topics by Twitter mentions. Each annotation highlights major events that happened on the days of the highest spikes. While the visualization is complex, each note enhances our understanding of the story. Once we have created a clear visualization and provided our user with additional context, we're ready to polish our design. There's great potential for creativity and data visualization, but it can cause more harm than good if done poorly. Let's look at visual encoding methods, colors, and other visual design details that can enhance your visualization or dashboard. With over 50 types of data visualizations to choose from, it's easy to just pick one that we think would be most interesting or fancy. However, each data visualization is conducive for telling a unique type of data story. As a data viz designer, you must be confident in what information is most important to communicate and highlight for your user. Qualitative and quantitative data is visually encoded or translated through a variety of graphical methods that make up each visualization type. There has been research done on these visual encoding methods giving us insights for human graphical perception. Statistician William Cleveland and his colleague Robert McGill tested the visual encoding methods by accuracy of perception. Their findings give us a scientific foundation for data visualization. Position is the best encoding method for accuracy, followed by length, angle, area, volume, and finally, with color taking the last spot. Here are a couple of things this tells me. Color is not reliable for communicating information in a graph. This aligns to the WCAG 2.0 guideline that states that color cannot be used as the only visual means for communicating information, indicating an action, etc. Second, bar and line graphs are common for good reason. They're easy and accurate for our brains to understand the data that's being represented by them. Now, this list is not a one-stop shop for choosing the right visualization. It does not mean that all data should be displayed as a bar graph. However, it does give us insight into which types of visualizations could be more appropriate for our data. Ultimately, it's always best to try a couple of options and compare their effectiveness. For example, let's look at medication data. If we want to see how a patient's medication have been administered over the past 24 hours, we may assume a line graph would give us a clear trend. However, I have concerns with this approach. Line graphs are great for trending continuous data, but medication administrations are typically intermittent. Connecting the dots between med administration insinuates that the patient tapered from one dose to another, continually receiving the medication. If we switch this to a bar graph, the display is much more effective. 
Each individual administration is plotted as a single, disconnected event. It's important to carefully think through the visual encoding method we choose and try out a few visualization types to see which one best communicates our story. Next, let's dive into the use of color in data visualizations. Color is complicated. As designers, we often balance the colors of our brand with color psychology and maintaining accessibility. However, since we know we shouldn't be using on it, relying on it to communicate information, we can rest in the fact that color is just a way to enhance our visualizations and dashboards. Use color sparingly. Think of it as a tool for drawing attention to the most important information. If everything is color, especially on a dashboard, nothing's going to stand out. Be careful with the type of color scheme you choose. The shades of blue on the left apply a sequential color scheme to Australia, representing differences in quant quantitative values. The various color hues on the right communicate qualitative differences across Australia. Since approximately 10% of the population is colorblind, we should avoid using red and green together on a visualization. Color Oracle is a great colorblind simulator that allows you to see what colors in your visualization or dashboard look like for users with these, color with these vision deficiencies. Ensure you maintain high contrast between colors and avoid using very light or very dark shades. The delta E calculation measures the difference between two colors. At Cerner, we ensure a difference of at least 3.5. The best way to test the colors in your visualization or dashboard is to print it out in grayscale. Make sure you can still match the plotted data to its labels. Better yet, get additional eyes on it. This test ensures that color is not the only way that you're communicating information to your user. Let's talk about the visual design techniques that are often used to make our visualizations look cooler. In general, I recommend avoiding these altogether. <laughs> Edward Tufte, statistician and Yale professor, has a concept of data ink ratio. Data ink, or data pixels, refer to the core parts of a graphic that cannot be erased. Unnecessary decoration increases cognitive overload and decreases data our data ink ratio. The user's focus should be on the actual data, as this example illustrates. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Visual elements that can clutter and distort our data include borders, drop shadow, texture, and 3D effects. Not too pretty. Illustrations can also confuse our data. As we see in this example, how many books equal 1%? This also doesn't start at zero, so that 75 looks like it might be 25% instead. This doesn't mean that our visualizations must look flat or boring. They can still be sleek and well-designed by following simple design best practices. A beautiful color scheme can go a long way in making your visualizations look great, as long as it's accessible. Receding the color and weight of supporting elements such as labels and grid lines allows the actual data to come into focus. Ensure that elements within a visualization or dashboard have clear hierarchy and plenty of breathing room. 
Creative animations on load or interaction can make a visualization engaging and delightful. In the end, if our visualizations do not clearly communicate information, they aren't of much use. Like Edward Tufte said, above all else, show the data. In closing, I'd like to share a visualization that I see at work every day. This large screen is in the main lobby of one of our campuses. This visualization represents the number of lives saved by Cerner Sepsis Surveillance Agent in 2016. It starts with January 1st, then adds each day across the year. Sepsis is a life-threatening illness that can result as complication of an infection and is often obtained in hospitals. Early recognition is imperative to preventing harmful bacteria from damaging a patient's order, organs and saving his or her life. This visualization reminds me that the work I'm doing has significant impact. Sorry, I meant to skip. As we learned from John's story, if doctors are only looking at patient data that occurred in the past, they're always going to be a step behind. We should use data to propel doctors forward for anticipating patient needs and providing treatment to prevent significant problems. Cerner Sepsis Agent uses cloud computing and big data analytics to screen patients in real time. It identifies high-risk patients and alerts clinicians through the software system. In 2016, Cerner, the Cerner Sepsis Agent fired many times around the world, saving over 26,000 lives. In the complex world of healthcare, it's imperative to support and enable clinicians to intervene and make treatment decisions as early as possible. As we saw before, there are many complex challenges to patient safety. Humans are not perfect, but neither is technology. The two must work together to not only prevent error, but to solve problems and improve outcomes before there is even patient risk. The sepsis surveillance agent is an amazing example of collaboration between people and technology. In Clive Thompson's book, Smarter Than You Think, he makes an important statement. People and technology working together is much more effective than either people or technology alone. This was proven in the game of chess over 20 years ago, as Grandmaster Gary Kasparov stated, human strategic guidance combined with the tactile acuity of a computer was overwhelming. The world is overflowing with big, complex problems, but we have big, complex data to solve them. This big complex data exists as numbers that can go on forever. Data visualizations are the key for humans to understand and take action on it. Data must be visualized clearly and effectively in order to enable professionals across industries to understand it, make decisions on it, and take actions on it. These powerful words from Tragic Design highlight our opportunity. Designers are the gatekeepers of technology. They have a critical role to play in the way technology will impact people's lives. We, as user experience professionals, can revolutionize healthcare and other industries through the way we visualize data. The design details matter. Through clear, contextual, and creative data visualizations and dashboards, we can drive action that will change the world and even save lives. Thank you.
Thank you. Thanks. We have um, a few minutes for questions. We've heard a few cases where um, people are talking about how voice technology and, um, and uh, artificial intelligence will improve things and how uh, UI might change. Um, obviously, you focus very much around UI. How do you think uh, information might be relayed in other methods um, using voice-type feedback um, that, that, that still follows some of your principles? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few um, really cool things happening with uh, natural la- language generation. Uh, Tableau is, connect- is working with a lot of different companies on that. So for example, um, kind of like imagine a conversation with data itself. So being able to ask it questions, having it respond to you, and then also kind of being able to have a, a, a narrative generated about the, the data that you're seeing. So I think that there's a lot of interesting potential for communicating with data and having voice be kind of that, that interaction point that is then, you know, you're given visualizations based on the questions you're asking. So I think that there's a lot of really neat potential with, with all those things, the new technology, yeah. Uh, two quick things. So one was uh, uh, augmented reality, and if you've mm-hmm. seen any applications of that. And another thing is um, just wondering how how what the career pathway into this sort of field looks like. Is it is it better to have a background in health, or are people like you mentioned multidisciplinary? So perhaps people are coming in who have a more of a design background, but then applying those design skills in conjunction with health people. So. Great questions. I'll answer your second one first. Um, I kind of stumbled into healthcare. I had heard of Cerner and um, was interested in it, but it, I was definitely had no healthcare experience before joining. Um, there's a lot of training, and we do a lot of shadowing to understand what the landscape is like. Um, so, and we're always needing, like our team is always growing and needing people. So I think that healthcare is a field that needs design really badly, obviously, and we need more and more people. So I think that if it's something you're interested in, then just to start reaching out and going for it, because there's definitely need, and I... There's no prerequisite to to do it. Um, for your first question with augmented reality, did you mean specifically to data visualization or healthcare or both? Both. Um, so I, our team's done a little bit of research in that area, and I'm always kind of looking at new technologies and seeing how they can be, how we can be um, using those. I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but I yes, it's definitely being thought about and worked on. Um, and I'm really excited about those opportunities to, to use that type of technology. Imagine being in a patient room and talking to a patient, but able to see their data in, in, you know, in real time um, without having to break eye contact even, having it kind of be there. So there's definitely a lot of interesting potential um, that I, I would like to see happen. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2017. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.